Hello, regulars. Welcome to the first episode of Floor by Floor, a Tower of God podcast discussing the latest chapters of the webtoon. I'm Reziot. And I'm Virley. And we're your hosts. Since this is the first episode, we're going to start with an introduction about ourselves. I'll go ahead and start. Hi, I'm Reziot, or Rezi for short. I'm a voice actor and writer under the pen name Reziot Cage. Webtoons had recommended Tower of God to me for a while, and I had it on my to-read list too, but I didn't give it a chance because it looked daunting. It was so long. One day I found out that there was an anime adaptation, which would be faster to watch, so I gave it a try, and I was completely lost after the first episode. I ended up dropping it right away. After some time, I still couldn't forget about it, so I finally gave the webtoon a chance, and I got sucked in. I caught up in about three months, and it became my new fixation. It's now been three years of devouring everything TOG. At the time, it had been eight years since I had last joined a fandom, so I was pretty nervous about interacting with people. I decided to join a Halloween event with a fanfic, and people were nice, so I decided to stay. I started on Tumblr, and I'm currently most active on Twitter. I write fanfics, record podfics, and voice comics for the fandom now all enabled by the wonderful friends I've made. My favorite thing about TOG is the character development. Actual development of the protagonist, besides going from weak to strong, is hard to find. Bomb has gone through multiple changes based on the hardships he's had to face. His name, his personality, his friends, they've all changed. His core beliefs are the same, but he's grown a lot as a person, and that really resonates with me. And that's what keeps me hooked. Okay, and the fights are also pretty cool and satisfying to read. Okay, that's enough about me. It's time to learn about our other host. Hello again, I'm Beerlane, Beera for short. I'm a fandom writer and hobby translator for the Korean Raw chapters. I'm also pretty active in talk Twitter and several Discord communities and talk about all things news, fandom, canon, and all that falls between. Um, I got into TOG way back when it initially debuted on Line Webtoon in 2014. Uh, someone had recommended it on a Reddit thread and I checked it out. I read a bit of season one and subsequently dropped it. To be honest, I couldn't tell you why it was so long ago. <laughs> but fast forward to early 2020 and I caught wind of the anime production. And I went, oh hey, I remember that series. So I watched it, was utterly blindsided by The Push, Inhaled the entirety of the webtoon at a leisurely pace at ate three weeks of my life. Survived quarantine by jumping into fandom for the first time in about five years. And here I am, three years and two hiatuses later, still yelling about the new chapters on Sundays. <laughs> mm, I think I have two favorite things about Tog. Um, the characterization and actually the fandom. I love how Tog bucks a lot of the standard shonen tropes and focuses heavily on its characters. Through Baum and his friends, the series depicts a rather realistic evolution in philosophies and concepts that change as we grow as humans. It's a study of life and humanity within the sphere of the Tower and its fantastical capabilities, with allusions to reality and, man, if the character death and relatability didn't hook me right on in. The fandom has to be one of the most diverse I've seen in recent times because of this. Sure, Tog has all its laser battles, rivalries, and power levels, and they're hype and exciting. But I swear, for every theorist and power-tier analyst Tog fan out there, there's a character study writing, fan art making, meme editing fan too. 
And I enjoy that both sides of the fandom actually interact with each other as someone straddling the fence between these traditionally divided sides of fandom. It's like a whole little world on its own, and I've met a lot of amazing people. Like Reziet. Hey, Rezzy. I'm excited to get this podcast started. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It's going to be fun as we dive into the latest chapter, which is chapter 566, or season 3, episode 149. But before we get into that, how about we start with a quick recap of what happened in the last chapter, 565. So in the last chapter, we jumped right in after Tiara attacked Yuri in the fence, after Yuri nearly ripped the book they'd popped out of in half. And Yuri doesn't look damaged at all. She looks more annoyed that she got caught off guard. She then recognizes Kuhn and Rack as being Bomb's friends, and Tiara asks Kuhn if they know each other. Kuhn, of course, deflects the question and asks Yuri why she's here. While they chat, Tiara learns that Bomb is actually the name of the candidate that they're all fighting for, and she reveals that she already knew Yuri had an interest in him, which brings up the question, is there anyone in the tower that doesn't know she's stalking him? At this point, no. <laughs> yeah, Jinseng knows of her, so obviously all of Fug knows that she's following him and Kut's going to stop her anyway. So Yuri learns who Tiara is and quickly calls her a lunatic. That starts off this childish name-calling fight between them where they call each other Bomb and Looney and all sorts of really pointless banter. But it turns out they're both using it as a distraction to send their companions off to look for Bomb. So when Tiara turns to Kuhn to ask him to go look for Bomb, Rack turns to Kuhn and asks him which side are they on because Yuri is their friend. And of course, in good old Kuhn fashion, he says they're on their own side and they're just going to escape with Bomb and ignore everything else. So at this point, there are actually five groups pursuing Bomb. We have Lilio, Tiara, Yuri, Kuhn, and Endorsi. Each one of them with their individual goals of what they want to do with Bomb. Good and bad. Bomb's about to get strung out in so many different directions. Everyone wants a piece of this boy. He can't escape it at all. He can't even take a nap without being pursued. This poor guy. So while everybody's running away to go find Bomb, Yuri and Tiara begin their fight. Tiara starts summoning these ultra-high-density Shinsu balls that explode. They look like spirographic sunflowers. They're actually really cool. But as cool as they look, Yuri can still dodge them pretty easily, and she comes in to close the gap thinking that she won't be able to use her attack if she gets into close combat. But Tiara just headbutts her and puts distance between them again. That's a pretty sick power move. A headbutt that she says that the reason she was able to even have such a strong head but is because she's trained her brain by reading. Wow. Go read a book, kids. It'll give you a super strength skull. So then Yuri attacks with Red Velvet Sword, which spawns a whole bunch of flower petals into the air, and Tiara doesn't even look remotely concerned. Instead, she just admires how pretty it looks. Like it was just a spring blossom festival <laughs> that is, she has just walked into. She looks up into the sky and just goes, ooh, pretty flowers. Completely harmless. Nothing's going to happen here. But that does give her enough time to start scribbling down in her book. So what's going to happen next? We don't know. It cuts to bomb, landing the finishing blow on Ren. Ren falls to the ground in a bloody heap, his shirt shredded by the attack because clothes does not survive anything to do with Bomb. 
Clothes are just expected to just die a horrible death in this tower. Worse than any regular. And of course, Bomb looks like he's barely broken a sweat. His clothes have taken damage, but the rest of him, he's not even bleeding. He barely waits a moment before immediately taking off to go help Endorsey. And as he's running away, we see Ren's leech twitching. So we know he's not quite dead, just very badly beaten. I don't think we'll see him get up after this fight <laughs> for a, quite a while. I think he's out for the count for, yeah, a while. Probably some plot armor because he still has some stuff to settle with Anok who has beef with him. For sure. Another highly anticipated battle. But until then, we see Bomb running down the hall and he feels a presence and immediately hides in a room. Just as a swarm of snakes come barreling down the hallway, Bomb peeks out into the hallway and looks like it's all gone except boom, the snakes pop out from the bathroom behind him and grab him before he can attack. And that's where the chapter left off. Man cannot escape the noodles. The noodles are taking him somewhere. We don't know yet. Well, they're going to take him straight to Lilio, and we'll see how that ends up. Which, unfortunately, is not answered in this week's chapter, number 566. Yeah, so let's start off with chapter 566. We do another POV change where Cha is calling Jinsung from their suite below the floor that all the commotion and battles are occurring. Jinsung can see the snakes from his window. And Cha wants to go help Bomb, but Jinxon's like, no, we can't. That's against the rules. And he says that they're just going to rely on Yuri to figure it out. Literally. And then he says a line that hurts your heart. I refuse to be any more of a burden to my disciples than I already am. And you're like, oh, man, he's recognizing the fact that he's caused a lot of trouble for Bomb. He, man tried to help. Man got in trouble. But now they're... Working it out. I think he's doing great. He's a great dad figure. I guess. <laughs> he's trying to be. <laughs> so instead, Jensen says they should escape. And he reveals that there's an insider in the Lopobia family that has been helping him out. Jensen sees Matt and Jam Jam battling outside and gets the brilliant idea that this is the time to escape. And so they go plan that and we do a POV change to Jam Jam fighting Matt outside. So Matt has been carrying around this stick the whole time, and Jam Jam assumes that he's a spear bearer. So he zooms in for a close distance attack so Matt doesn't get a chance to use the spear, only to get punched with a very powerful attack. Shocked, Jam Jam asks him why he's not using his spear, and Matt says it's purely ceremonial. Ceremonial. As in he was just wielding it for show, for decorum. Because, you know, a guard to, like, someone as high-ranking as Tiara needs to look somewhat official. So the stick is there for show. At what point does it stop being ceremonial? Just put the stick down and fight? Like, is, is this a handicap? Like, is he just being nice at this point? Just put it down. Your life is on the line, dude. And though it pisses Jam Jam off to see it, he also praises him for sticking to needless decorum, even in the middle of a fight. But nonetheless, Jam Jam is still going to fight. So he catches Matt's fist and tries to crush it until Matt reveals his actual ability, which is to use an element as a physical enhancement technique using Shinsu. So as this happens, Jam Jam 
does a little explanation and says that people who use this type of technique are dopers, which is a new term CU is using. And I guess that would apply to Rack too, huh? Potentially, seeing as it's essentially adding, as you mentioned, an element to the Shinsu body enhancement technique. So it's possible that Rock being able to use rocks to enhance his defense is technically a doper technique too. So that's interesting. We have a name for it now. Little odd they're introducing it this far in, but well. We'll take it. Jam Jam points out something interesting that this technique causes excruciating pain afterwards. It reminds me of the pill that Ran has to take to enhance his, his lightning attacks, that lightning pill that he swallows. Mm-hmm. I like that CU has these drawbacks to these, to these incredibly strong techniques. It is something that's prevalent through the series. We see it a number of times. And we do have to remember that regulars have to speak to administrators on every floor to form a Shitsu contract. So it's possible that these limitations are just imposed on them by the administrators so they're not overly powerful. We've seen it before with, well, as you mentioned, Ron with his lightning pill, where he literally can't even walk afterwards after using it. We've seen it with Lopobia Lefebvre, the sniper, who can only fire her ultra-powerful Shinsu bullets twice a day, and how several other um, characters have had limitations imposed on them in return for you know, these powerful abilities. I think Han Sung also had it with his Shinsu black hole ability when he was fighting Haracha. It's so powerful that he's only able to sort of control it and can only use it maybe once or twice a day. He did an explanation about that, where there are certain abilities that have drawbacks imposed on them because of their power. So it's possible the excruciating pain is basically the return for using something like this, where Bat says he this particular element that he's enhancing his body with is concrete. But as the battle goes on, we do see the drawback of just having cement as your ability. As Jam Jam realizes that he's not going to be able to fight Matt in close combat and instead summons a fleet of dragonfly observers carrying missiles. I'm going to tell you, I looked at that panel and just went, I see you. What are you doing? They're so cute. <laughs> I mean, sure, they can be as dragonfly observers carrying ballistic missiles can be. It's like, oh, what are you going to do? Tickle me with those little missiles? But no, they're like super powerful, enhanced by Jam Jam missiles. So we see Matt continuing to enhance and enhance his body to try to brace himself for these attacks. And of course, his enhancement also covers the dugong. I think it's really cute. He's trying to protect Shark Nose too. But yeah, he basically covers himself in concrete. He covers Shark Nose, the dugong, in concrete. These explosions are going off around him, so obviously his clothes are also shredded off. We really should start an outfit counter. I think it's definitely in the hundreds at this point. <laughs> definitely. And then Jam Jam says something interesting where it seems as though the ability is more of a corruption than some sort of enhancement. It's not explained exactly what that means. 
because Jam Jam immediately goes off and says how Matt won't be able to last much longer against his explosions because this is the Lopopia battleship after all. So he can always call on backup. I wonder what that means. I do want to know what he means by corruption and hopefully we'll find out in the next chapter because I feel like this particular fight, which cuts off right here, unfortunately, will definitely be continued in the next chapter. And yep, that's the end. It cuts to Kieran, who is receiving a request for backup for Jam Jam. And this panel's a little interesting because though, you know, the alert of an intruder invading the battleship and Jam Jam facing off against it and, you know, them being in the proximity of the Slayer Candidate would raise alarms. But it seems as though Kieran considers what his response is before he just replies with an affirmative that he heard for the request for backup. As if something's going on there. Hmm. Yeah, sounds like he has other plans or some other suspicions that he's thinking about that's not being revealed to us. But... We don't know because it cuts again to another scene where Cha drops down and knocks out two guards easily. And Jinsung shows up, seemingly impressed, and asks him to join Fug, which Cha just seems to laugh it off with uh, thanks for the honor. I'm honored, but I'm, uh, I'm good. Thanks, old man. Yep. And Cha deflects him by just asking him, what about security cameras and whatnot, now that he's holding two seemingly either dead or unconscious guards in his arms? And Jinsung just tells him that he's already disabled all the security surveillance and alarms, so they'll be changing into the guard uniforms. Yay, infiltration mission! And he just starts taking his clothes off right there. I mean, there's no cameras, it's just two dudes, two guys hanging out, you know? Two dudes hanging out, changing into enemy guard uniforms. As they're in an elevator, Jinsung reveals that it's the insider who gave him the Lopobia mothership's coordinates so that he could invite Yuri and the other participants to the contest. That this insider must be someone close to a high-ranking official, most likely someone who runs errands for them within the family. And in exchange for helping them escape, the insider wants to meet them. There still aren't enough clues for us to determine who this insider is. But we don't find out any more information because we are thrown to another POV change and we are introduced to Lopopia Koruro, an insider branch head. He's speaking with Kirin and reassures him that he'll take care of the intruders. He ends his conversation and as he's walking along, it is revealed that there are no other reinforcements coming because everyone's asleep and he doesn't seem to be concerned about that. It seems like he's just going to take care of it himself. Or potentially running interference for what seems to happen next. Cha and Jinsung are running past the guards in the background. And Karuro spots them. And that's when he pulls out a cell phone, puts his mask up, says, maybe it's time for me to get out of here. And a big explosion goes off in a building behind him. What? All this stuff coming up now. We don't know who's in charge of what. Whose side are they on? But we don't have a chance to explore that. We do another POV change. Back to Yuri and Tiara's fight. Yuri tries a different approach by compressing her Shinsu in a straight line to shoot it at Tiara. And Tiara's just like, ha ha. She flips open her book and scribbles a couple lines in it about making her body impervious 
to attack somewhat like a Shinwa and just tanks the hit, literally lets it just go straight through her head, leaving a hole through her forehead. And it's just like, what? There's this effect that her body is drawn with kind of like scattered Shinsu, kind of like a smoky, like flame effect to show that what she wrote in her book, which is basically to turn her body into Shinsu, was a reality. She literally turned her body into a form of Shinsu in order to not be pierced by any attacks. This is when we see Yuri get serious. Tiara just kind of looks at her and taunts her, tells her, I'm okay. Are you surprised? With a hole in her head as it's forming back together into her original shape. Kind of scary. That's concerning. <laughs> Definitely going to change the way the battle is going to work out. So Tiara reveals how her book works. She says that as long as there is a subject and a scenario, she can create anything she wants. As long as it can actually occur, then it does. Kind of like a death note, except not restricted to heart attacks and chips. <laughs> I'm sure she can come up with more creative ways than just that. For sure. But with her explaining that, it makes you wonder what kind of restrictions there are. Because you would think turning your body into Shinzu is pretty out there already. Obviously, Yuri seems skeptical based on those kind of ideas. So in order to prove her point on how dangerous this ability can be, Tiara writes in her book that she is going to be capable of returning Yuri's attack fourfold, basically. Yuri taunts her, saying that Tiara hasn't been outputting anywhere near the amount of Shinsu that she has been. But Tiara isn't concerned at all as she summons these four concentrated Shinsu Bangs, the same as what Yuri just did with her red velvet sword, and fires them at Yuri. Return to sender. And that's it. That's the cliffhanger. We don't know. We just see the explosion. We don't know if it actually hit. We don't know how Yuri is. We'll find out next week. A lot of POV switching going on. It's feeling a little bit like Cat Tower 2.0. We're going from here to there, getting a little progress on the overarching plotline of what's going on and everything involving the Lopopia battleship. So more than likely, all of these POV changes are being done in order to keep the timeline clear as all of these things kind of coincide. But with all these POV changes, we just end up with a lot more questions. Questions such as, who is this Lopobia high-ranking trader? Who is this insider that's been feeding information? Have they been introduced yet? There are a couple of theories. There is a possibility that yes, they have been introduced already. And of course, there's a possibility that no, we don't know yet. And we're just being thrown a lot of red herrings. But based on the information we have right now, to start from the bottom level, it's possible that Koruro would be the first one who is the traitor because he's clearly labeled as the insider. But Jinsung himself says that the person that they've been communicating with directly seems to be some sort of errand boy or middleman for the actual high-ranking traitor somewhere in the family. And the restriction to that would be that the person has knowledge as to where the battleship is in the tower and on what floor. Seeing as Kororo is a commander of the security of the entire battleship, it's possible he knows where the battleship is, so it would be easy for him to leak that information out. 
but he's probably gotten this information from someone up above him. And based on his appearance, and simply based on a couple chapters back where Lopobia Robodon was introduced, who is the Grand Marshal of the entire Lopobia army, like the head honcho of the entire army, it's possible that he's affiliated with him. And we know he's up to something fishy because it was pointed out by his grandson, Kadidi, that he's taking the army in a different direction than the mothership. As if he's distracting them away to pull attention away from something or just to keep them away in order for certain events to happen. It's interesting. And something else to point out here in the chapter too. In the source text, Goruru refers to Kirin as Hyongnim, which is... Well, translated just means like older brother, you know, like brother in a sort of affectionate way. This kind of implies as though, well, one, they know each other. Two, they know each other beyond acquaintances and they're in more casual speaking terms. And three, this could imply that Kirin is in fact also in cahoots with this entire treason plot. So a couple suspects in this whole traitor plot could be... Robodon himself as being the top, the apex of the entire plot. Kirin also being involved for one reason or another. And all of Robodon's grandchildren being involved as agents or boots on the ground for Robodon to use in order to further this plot. Then there's more questions as to what is it that they could gain from betraying the family? Are they really betraying the family? Could it be that they don't agree with the way Traumarai is acting since we know he gave up his memories for whatever reason? We know Kirin is aware of Traumarai's memories being in Leviathan, so he has some level of information above a lot of other officials, I would imagine. And all of that begs the question, what could they have to gain from betraying the family in the way that they are? Because right now, as it seems, this particular high-ranking official is colluding with Fug. We've mentioned Robodon, who has a sort of stake in this, a personal one, in that his granddaughter, Laura, is being held hostage by Traumarai himself. Robodon also seems to be dissatisfied for one reason or another. He does not explain. He only tells Kadidi how everything that he has seen speaks for itself. And the only things we as readers have seen from Traumarai's actions is that he likes to go out and seek these tribes with interesting abilities and pretty much wipe out their leadership and assimilate them. So could it be possible that Robodon might have been victim to this somewhere in the far-flung past? So it's potential that he has personal stakes for wanting to do this. As for Kirin, being one of the closest people to Traumarai, being implicit in this traitor's plot, it's possible he's also dissatisfied with how Traumarai has acted or how the current Traumarai is. It's very possible that Kirin has been like Traumarai's right-hand man for a very long time, potentially thousands of years, we don't know exactly, and that he may know things about Traumarai that we don't or perhaps that others don't around him because they haven't been around as long as he has. And Kirin has knowledge about the Leviathan. Is it possible that Traumarai may have confided in Kirin what the Leviathan holds? Potentially. Yeah, we don't know if this relationship between them 
is good or bad? Has it been soured over time? Because we know he has all these nightmares about the memories he's given up. What has he done in the past? This is, it's all really unclear still. It could go in any direction. CU is a pretty great storyteller, so I look forward to whatever crazy reasons he's going to show us. Indeed. And it would be amazing if overall it's revealed where Tramari was the foil to his own plans due to him not remembering certain things. And it's possible that Kirin may be enacting a plan that Tramari may have set in place with him through an agreement that he quickly forgot after feeding those memories to the Leviathan. Wherever Siu goes with this will be extremely interesting because, well, Tramari knows there's a high-ranking traitor among his people. Yeah, there's no way that he's not aware of something going on behind his back. He had the go get bomb to kidnap Laura for a reason. Like he's got a plan, some kind of way to maybe sniff out the traitor, or maybe he already knows who it is. There's a high possibility he may be suspecting Robodon from the get go because he has bomb kidnapped Laura, his granddaughter, and has information about her abduction leaked to the branch heads by Kieran himself. So Kieran, you know, is involved in the center of all of this because he's aware of all the plans from the top to the bottom. So he has this information leaked and potentially to have these traders mobilize and try to intercept their plans so that it would give an opportunity for maybe Kieran and Below, because Chamari probably isn't watching this directly, to go ahead and try and sniff out these traders because they'll be forced to act in a moment. Which lends to that theory of Koro seemingly working as an agent of the trader. And he's just boots on the ground that's going to help Jinsung and Cha. But that the trader's actively moving right now. And Traumarai is going to see that. So we'll see what happens. We don't even know where Traumarai is right now. Is he sleeping through all this? I doubt that he's actually sleeping. He's probably watching and waiting for the right moment to come out. Potentially. Potentially. We don't know. He could just be taking a nap. <laughs> Hearing all these explosions and snakes and stuff going on next door, and it's just part of a nightmare. Yeah, he's tossing and turning and sweating, having a nightmare, and he's going to come out real upset, and then everything's just going to be blown up. All these rooms exploded, bombs room got exploded, the halls are exploded, meeting rooms are exploded. <laughs> this five-star hotel is going to be in pieces by the end of this arc. It's just a smoking crater. And trauma in the middle going, what just happened? <laughs> I do want to see what it is that the trader wants to discuss with Jin Sung and Cha. Of course, it's probably going to be some sort of deal, but a deal for what? Is it going to involve bomb in some way is another question. Because everything seems to be revolving around getting control over the irregular. And it makes sense because bomb himself is like a chisel to a stone block. He can find the cracks, he can be shoved into those cracks and break them. Poor bomb can't catch a break. He's just a tool and not a person. It's such a shame. Coon, whisk him away, quick. <laughs> as much as I would like that to happen, that would make for a very boring story. So I don't think we're going to get that Coon bomb reunion anytime soon. I think that's going to be delayed. There's been too much information dropped this particular chapter and two ongoing fights that have been shown on screen that need to be wrapped up immediately. Because we're all waiting, you know, with bated breath, definitely, for Endorsey versus Lilial. And we need to find out where Bomb went. 
The snakes are probably whisking him away through the toilets right now towards Lilial. So in order to make space for all of that, I feel as though next chapter we're going to be focusing on Tiara and her book ability and it basically flexing its limitations and insane concepts that she'll be scribbling down. I look forward to all the fan fiction she's going to be writing next time. She's literally writing self-insert fix-it fan fiction on the fly. As suspected, it seems as though everything she's written into the book in the form of a short story, because it always has to end with the end or full stop or like a stopping point, manifests into reality. First time we see the book used, it's literally to hide herself, Rock, and Kuhn into the book. She writes that down specifically, where the book's magical abilities allow them to hide into the book. And they get teleported in, and the book snaps shut, and that happens. And in this particular chapter, Tiara elaborates that as long as there is a subject and scenario, she can create anything she wants as long as it is rooted in reality. So seeing as she says that, the book is limited by reality itself, so it can't manifest outlandish things. So I'm assuming then she won't be able to summon people that are not nearby. So that's another question of, is there a range to this? Taking the word reality, we have to be realistic. So if we look at this from Tiara's point of view, it's possible that the reality it's limited by, quote unquote, is what she knows, what she's seen herself, the people she knows, and what can be done in the space around her. So she probably can't summon people she doesn't know or has never seen before. Lucky for Bomb. <laughs> she probably can't declare herself god of the tower because she doesn't realize what the full scope of that actually is. Or has she probably has never met Jahad himself either. And I'm sure she can't just write, I passed the test. The end. <laughs> I'm sure there's limitations, not just from what is reality, but also with what the administrators would allow. As mentioned earlier, the administrators have oversight over all regulars. And though Tiara is a ranker, she is a regular. So seeing as Yuri also directly states that Tiara Shinsu is weaker than hers, it, the book probably can't change her overall power level that much. But it likely gives her the flexibility to change her specialization with a few written words. So she can better optimize her abilities and traits to better counter her opponents. So as we saw, she turned herself into Shinsu and was tanking Yuri's Shinsu attack, and it did absolutely nothing to her. Now, I'm sure there is a limit to the amount of changes that she can do to herself. That could also be part of the limitations. And we don't know what the book is using up. Is it just by the ink in her pen that when she runs out of ink, that's it? She can't make any more changes? Is it her own Shinsu that it's using? Yuri points out that her Shinsu is weaker, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she doesn't have a big bank of Shinsu. Mm -hmm. It's possible she can only state one or two things at a time. Because as we've seen so far, everything she's written down is just like one event or one activity or one action. And it also, as we've seen, takes her time to write into the book might be able to write fast, but it would still take you maybe 10, 15, 30 seconds to scribble down something that long. And headbutts can only go so far. Especially against Yuri. So there is a possibility that she could be overwhelmed with a lot of power in rapid succession. I think we've only seen a sliver of Yuri's power so far. Uh, we know that she's able to cause a crap load of damage very quickly. So 
this will be an interesting fight. Hopefully we'll see more of Yuri's powers because I don't think at this point we've seen Yuri really go all out. The last time we saw her go all out, she was using two 13-month weapons, the Black March and the Green April, and she went berserk. So it's not really her going all out other than her losing control. So this will be interesting. Well, she's also trying to be discreet too because she's technically invading a great family's battleship. And people don't know she's there. And if she gets in any more trouble, it's going to be hell for her. So in a way, she's self-imposing a limitation on herself that she can't go all out. But it's possible that Tiara may push her over that anyway. That's true. Like I said, the place has been pretty destroyed already. Uh, but we do know that she doesn't want to bring attention to herself because she's gotten in trouble. She's already been demoted. She told herself that she wasn't going to follow Bomb, and yet here she is. Who can resist that cute little boy? Apparently nobody. He's a radiant light, and a bunch of moths are following him, and that will not give up until they get burned. It's a beautiful analogy. Yes, pretty much what's going on. So what do you predict for the next chapter? You did say that we're going to get more of Yuri and Tiara's fights. We're probably going to get more of the escape plot. I don't think we're going to get any more plot reveals just yet. We have a couple loose threads that need to be wrapped up, especially the Jam Jam and Matt fight too, which seems like it'll be over quick because the circumstances around the fight are pretty simple. Who knows what's going to happen there? But I feel like that would be next chapter. We'll have more... Yeah, Tiara and Yuri and more Jinsung and Cha, and we'll see what happens there. And unfortunately, I think the much-anticipated Kumbam reunion is probably not for a little while. Not yet. Not yet. I think we'll get it. But just not yet. Yeah. If anything, we're probably going to see Endorsey versus Lilial before we get the Kumbam reunion. Yes, and that fight has been rather one-sided looking so far. But we also know that Lilia is up to something, especially with getting the snakes to go get bomb. And we know that she's ahead because the snakes have bomb. So we'll hopefully see some progress there in that storyline. We've gotten like 15 different point of views. We might as well throw that in there too. Indeed. I would say in Dorsey versus Lilia is probably like the week after next at most. And if not, well, I'll eat my shoe. <laughs> no, I think think your shoes are safe unless you decide to surprise us and we'll see because he has a tendency to do that he does he weaves the story like a master an insane master because come on observers with ballistic missiles and they're shaped like dragonflies and they're enhanced by shinsu and they're really cute <laughs> i can't get over how cute they look they're kind of cute but they're carrying ballistic missiles exploding in the air <laughs> all right so that wraps up chapter 566 also known as season 3 episode 149 thank you so much for sticking around regulars we'll see you guys on the next floor where we discuss the next chapter have a good one